The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. This, um, this morning's scripture is coming from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. As a large crowd was gathering and people were flocking to him from every town, he said in a parable, A sower went out to his seed. As he was sowing, some fell along the path it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Other seed fell on the rock. When it sprang up, it withered, since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Still, other seed fell on good ground. When it sprang up, it produced a crop, 100 times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that this is the meaning of the parable, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, welcome the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and depart in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed and the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring bear fruit. Thank you. This has been God's word. So, I am what I call an optimist. Uh, Or I like to say I have a positive outlook on life. Uh, When I see the glass, it's half full. Uh, Some people call me a dreamer. I like to call myself a visionary. I see a preferred future that is positive uh, as I'm looking forward to where God is wanting to take me and take us. Like I see some, a place forward. Uh, Dale and Megan, I don't know if they would use those same descriptions about me, uh, particularly the optimist part. So uh, I would describe myself as, op- as an optimist or optimistic. Megan would describe me as, depending on when you caught her, uh, he sees things out of rose-colored glasses, or she might say he's a little bit deluded sometimes. Uh, she likes to call herself a realist. I call her something else sometimes, but that's, that's what she really brings to the table for me. Uh, so as a part of that sort of makeup for me, I don't like bad news, uh, as, like, I know, like, I need to know what's going on in the world, but I don't like to know bad news, not so much about what's going on in the world, but so much about me. So let me just give you an example of how this has played out in my life. Uh, so five years ago, five years ago this month, 
leading up to five years ago, so November 2011, I knew something wasn't right. I knew I was the least healthy I'd been in my life. Uh, work was really busy. I hardly left the office. I was eating whatever I wanted to. I, I, I just knew I, I could feel things were not right. And I kept having these headaches, like really, really bad headaches. They weren't like migraine headaches. They were like what I thought were bad sinus headaches because my family's always had bad sinus stuff. I kind of hear it in me right now. And, and I, would, I would have like debilitating headaches that would put me down for, I, I, would, I would run running hard with work, but they would put me down for like a day. Like I couldn't do anything else except writhe in bed in agony because I was like, man, these are bad sinuses I have going on. But progressively as time went on, I knew like I didn't feel right. But I didn't want to say anything to anybody because I didn't want anybody to say that I needed to go to the doctor because I didn't want to go to the doctor and have the doctor say, here's what's wrong with you. You follow my logic? At least this is the logic in my head. And so I didn't really say anything to anybody. These headaches are going on. I'm not feeling quite right. Except uh, Thanksgiving weekend, uh, 2011, uh, on Friday, my nose started bleeding. Now, that's not something that an average adult gets, is nosebleeds, and especially not me. It was a new thing for me. And my nose was bleeding, and like, like I couldn't like get it to stop bleeding. But I didn't want to tell Megan, because I didn't want Megan to say, you have to go to the doctor, and go to the doctor, and him to say, here's what's wrong with you. So I figured out ways to kind of stop my nose from bleeding and I'd be able to stop it for a few hours and it start again and I'd find a way to lay down and make it stop and I went through this off and on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I kind of thought I was getting past it on Sunday and then I go to work on Monday and I go to work on Monday and I'm in my office. I have some employees but they're not in the office with me. They're, they're across the street and it happened to be a day the guy who shares the office with me is not there. It's just me. And as I'm sitting there working, my nose starts bleeding. Now, when I say bleeding, I mean like bleeding, like bleeding, bleeding. And, and, and it, like, I couldn't get it to stop. Everything I tried, everything I did would not get it to stop. And I ended up, the closest uh, thing that I found was I got the paper towels and I rolled them up into a roll and I stuck one side up this nostril and the other side up this nostril. So I had a giant unfashionable paper towel nose ring that went down like this and, and I was bleeding so much it would keep filling it up and I had to throw that pack of paper towels away and put another thing in. I'm just hoping like this has got to stop eventually. I was able to avoid every time somebody say, hey, can I, I need, do you need me to come to the office? I'm like, no, 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 you're good. We'll get that later. I didn't want anybody to come in because I didn't want anyone to see me with my nosebleed because I didn't want them to say, you need to go to the doctor because I didn't want the doctor to tell me what was wrong. And finally, it kept bleeding so much, so bad, it was not stopping and nothing I could do to get it to stop. I figured I'm eventually going to go home and I know what Megan's going to say. So I called her up and said, hey, I had this really bad, really bad nosebleed. Um, do you think I should go to urgent care or the ER? Now, for me to call Megan and say that was a pretty big deal because, again, I don't like bad news. So she said, she, she, made, she called urgent care and blah, 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 and I'm going to, straight to the ER. And I went to, straight to the ER because the, the urgent care said we don't have a doctor on site. We don't have anything to cauterize it with and blah, blah, blah. 
so, so I went to the ER and I got to the ER and Namate probably knows already what's going on is I, I, I check in, they, they pull me back to the back and they start checking out my nose and doing other the, the diagnostics right at the beginning. And the guy who's checking my blood pressure looks at me and says, you're not going home tonight. My blood pressure was 203 over 154. Now, if you're not aware of what it's supposed to be, those are almost double what they're supposed to be. My blood pressure was off the charts. They ended up checking me in, doing all this stuff, and apparently what was going on was my nose was bleeding in order to keep my brain from exploding. It was the last release valve to let out the extra pressure of my blood so that my, literally, my brain, I would not have a stroke. My brain would not explode on me. I knew something was not right, but I didn't want to go to the doctor because I didn't want him to tell me the bad news, even though I knew if you asked me under like truth serum, are you okay? I would have said, no, I think something wrong. I didn't know it was blood pressure or anything, but, but I knew, actually, I cheat a little bit because anyway, there's all another story about how about six months before that, I got a wisdom tooth, remo- a wisdom tooth removed and the guy who was the doctor who, told, who knew me said, hey, your blood pressure is really high. You might want to get that checked out. So I didn't tell you that part. <laughs> I don't like bad news. But most of us don't like bad news when it involves something that we don't really want to know. Now, there are some sickos that like bad news, and they are the kind of sickos who send me uh, crying, crying Jordan memes after Clemson loses late at night. Too soon, Miles. But this parable that Jesus is telling his disciples and the people around him that are listening is about how many of us don't know or don't want to know, we refuse to know, we act like we don't know the most important news that we can hear. And the stakes here that Jesus is talking about could not be higher because what Jesus is talking about in these four types of ground, the sower sowing on the hard ground and the ground with the rock underneath it and the ground with the thorns and then the good ground, what he's talking about is the nature of true faith and false faith and the difference between them. And what he's saying is that the stakes here are high. He's talking about the eternal fate of people involved here. In this story, this parable, the first three types of ground, the hard ground, the rocky ground, the uh, ground with the thorns, three out of the four types of ground are types who hear the word of God in one way or the other, respond in one way or the other, and yet in the end, their eternal fate is far away from God. They are damned for eternity. And it's interesting that as he's talking about their eternal fate, he doesn't say, and we're going to get to this in the end, he doesn't say, take heed or be careful what you do. Now, of course, what we do is very important. But his warning to the disciples and to the people around him wasn't, hey, be careful what you do. What you do. He said, it's be careful or take heed or, or watch how you hear. 
they must be careful how they hear. For the rest of our time together this morning, I hope that we will hear this. I hope that you will hear this, but just between you and me, nobody else in the room this morning. As a personal appeal to watch how you hear. I hope you'll listen to this this morning and figure out where in this parable, where in this story that Jesus is telling, where do you fall? Because you fall in one of these categories or at least one of these categories. I don't know about you. I'm kind of schizophrenic. Sometimes I fall and I feel like I'm falling into multiple places in this story. But where are you today, today? Where are you personally today in this story? This is a personal appeal to watch how you hear. Because what Jesus is describing is four things that we're gonna cover. The characteristics of false faith, the characteristics of true faith, the difference between them, and the effect. The characteristics of false faith, the characteristics of true faith, the difference between them, and the effects of them. First of all, the characteristics of false faith. Now, this is not very encouraging to a preacher to read this passage and preach on this passage. Because what Jesus is saying is, hey, at least four, three out of the four people who hear the gospel are going to turn away and not be believers. They may or may not look like they're believers. They may look like they have a hard heart. They may or may not look like they're far away from God. But three out of the four types of people who hear this, hear the word of God, have what we call a false faith. First of all, let's look at verse five on the hard ground. Jesus is telling the story of sower. Now, it's interesting to me, and I think it's a key important part we're going to come around and hit back later, is it's an unnamed sower. It's just a sower. It's a farmer. A farmer goes out to sow some seed on his field. It doesn't matter who it is. It's just a farmer who goes out to sow his seed. And the way this worked in, the, in this time is that uh, we, the way that we think about farms is not the way that farms look at the time. Uh, farms wouldn't be, you know, a million acres uh, out in the middle of nowhere where you have uh, really, uh, really uh, sophisticated ways to farm it, to till it, to irrigate it, to monitor what's going on. This is just a family that own probably, you know, a few acres or more, but not a lot of land. And this land in Palestine is very flat. So it's not like, hey, you know, my, my land runs up to this natural landmark. There are very few landmarks. And the ground was very hard because it's a sun-baked area. And so if you didn't come in and plow up the area, it's very, going to be very difficult for seed to find a place to grow. And the way the farmers do at the time is they would come through. They didn't, well, like a, so I grew up in the country, and so I know a very little bit about farming and gardening. And, you know, we would, the first thing we'd come to do is we'd come in and plow up the ground, and then we would uh, come and we'd cut through the, the rows that we're going to plant the seeds in, the raised beds, the raised rows. Uh, but that's not the way they did it. They would come through, and they would throw, sow the seed on the ground. Then they'd come through behind that and plow it. And by plowing it, they would turn the dirt over on top of the seed so it would be then planted and they broke up the ground. So they would sow first and then plow on top of that. 
A a sower, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, so he's just walking through, he's got a basket, he's sowing the seed. Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. This is the first type of soil he is talking about, the first type of ground. And so later on when the disciples ask him, hey, tell us about what is the meaning of this parable. In verse 12, he says, those along the path are those who have heard and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. He's saying it's very possible for someone to sit Hear the word of God proclaimed. Hear the truth that God is real and he is great and he is holy. That mankind was made in his image but has fallen. Mankind is now sinful and separated from God and by nature we are children of wrath, under the wrath of God. And yet, and yet, God sent in a miracle his son, 100% God, 100% man, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a death, and he died that death on behalf of you and me to pay the sin penalty or the sin debt that you and I, we talked about the last week, that you and I owed, but we could not pay apart from death and eternal separation from Christ. And that by faith and trust in him and his finished work on our behalf in bowing our knee to him and confessing him as Lord that we are by that act remade and reborn as children of God and his spirit comes and breathes life where there once was death and unites us to Christ, unites us as God as his sons and daughters and our eternal destiny is changed forever. We go from being children of wrath to children of mercy and grace heirs of the king. It's possible for us to hear that word, for us to hear it week after week, to even participate in communion, to listen on the radio, hear it in songs, and all the different places you I may hear the word proclaimed, and yet it does not seem to penetrate our hearts. We hear it with our minds. We may even give mental assent to it. If we were to pass out a survey in this room today, there are probably some people who would be honest and say, hey, I don't really know about this God thing. I don't know about this Jesus thing. I don't know about the cross and the resurrection thing. But the majority of this in this room would check every box off on that list. But there's a far difference, far big difference between knowing the right answer and having that right answer penetrate your heart like the seed penetrates the soft dirt instead of sitting on top of the hard ground. If you are in that place today, you have what's called a hard heart. And that seed, which contains the life of God, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. To those of us become believers, we have found it to be the most precious truth in the world. It supersedes every other truth in my life. I love my wife. I love my children. I love a lot of things, but no, nothing is truer and realer than the truth. Nothing is more precious to me than the truth of who God is and what he has done on my behalf. But that seed can fall upon your heart and yet it be hard like that hard ground. And the life that is contained inside that seed remains dormant. It does not find root. It does not break forth. It does not grow. It just sits there and has no effect upon your heart. 
And God's warning to us that are in that category, that are this type of soil today is take heed how you hear. It says that some passers-by, some people walked by and the word was trampled underneath their feet. The seed was trampled underneath their feet. It was quickly squashed by the busyness of life. There are many of us in here who hear in other churches all across the country and the world, we hear the word of God. And there are more ways, if you're a, for some reason a Christian junkie, you like to listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books. There's, there's so many ways that you can hear the word of God today. And yet you can hear it all over the place. And yet it hit your hard heart, not find root. And then you turn around and leave and the busyness of life comes and it's trampled underneath before it even takes root. He says, and then some, the, the birds of the air came and devoured it. In verse 12, he, verse 11, he says that the, or sorry, verse 12, he says that the devil is the one who comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. There's some of us in this room, we come and we hear the word of God proclaimed here or community group or wherever you hear the word of God proclaimed and you leave and all of a sudden uh, it might affect you, it might interest your brain, it might interest your mind, you might have a conversation about it while you're here in your mind with maybe with some other people, but as soon as you leave, something comes in and just takes it away. And you, before you even leave here, you're thinking about lunch or the Cowboys game, so help you, or uh, the Panthers game, or whatever. And it's gone before it even finds root. The second type is verse six, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, so, that, so there would be a rock. It was, of course, the soil was very rocky in Palestine, and there would be, as you'd come through and you'd till it up, it might turn a rock, <coughs> excuse me, might turn a rock over and there's a, or, you, or as you come through and you plow, there's a hard rock underneath and your plow just kind of runs over the top of it and breaks up the, the shallow bit of ground on the top, but it doesn't go deep. And what happens when that happens is the seed is very close to the surface of the soil. And so when the seed is sitting underneath and all the right conditions are met and it starts to break forth and starts to grow roots and then grow a sprout up, you see it faster than the other sprouts because it's near to the surface. And it springs up, and it springs up quickly, it springs up fast, and yet there's not enough soil underneath it for it to build a sufficient root system to gather the nutrients and water that it needs to sustain life. So when the hot Palestinian sun rises and it beats down upon that tender shoot, it withers and it dies. It doesn't have the nutrients, it doesn't have the water that's needed to sustain life, and it doesn't because it doesn't have the sufficient root system that it needs in order to live. There's some people in this room, we hear the word and there's a sudden response. We're the fast responders. Sometimes it's because there's a new preacher Sometimes it's because there's a new church. Sometimes it's because we hear a new idea. But man, we're like, yeah, this is awesome. And from the outside, you can sometimes 
sometimes you can see that it's going to be a, a quick one and done kind of deal. Because the excitement isn't about Jesus. The excitement isn't about what he has done for you. There's not a weight upon your soul of your state apart from him. There's not a sense of deep and incredible gratefulness and thankfulness because of what he has done on your behalf and how he continues to uphold you and pour his life and presence upon you. And the excitement is about a new idea or a new preacher or a new church. Or maybe it's a new crisis. Some of us in this room, we're crisis believers. Uh, We're going along okay and then something bad happens and all of a sudden, man, our spiritual life seems to flourish and we respond quickly. God, help me. We go to church, we're there, we're involved in everything, we're trying to take extra communion, we're staying late, we're volunteering, we're going to community group, going to extra Bible studies. We are in, we are on it, man. But when the it seems to lessen, we disappear. For you, it's not so much about when hard times come, it pulls you away. It's more for you when easy times come and you don't feel your sense of need, you fall away. That little shoot has withered. It's quickly dried up. The third type of soil is in verse seven, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, grew up with it, and choked it. Then he explains it in verse 13, after they asked him to explain it. I'm sorry, verse 14. And as for those that what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. This is the one that scares me the most. Because as Americans, no matter how, like some of us in here live you know, pretty posh, comfortable lives, some of us not so much, but compared to the rest of the world and compared to history, everyone in this world, everyone in this room lives a comfortable, posh, rich life. Even if it doesn't feel like it. Look, Getting the, whether you have the iPhone 5 or the iPhone 7 is not a determination of whether life is good or not or tough or not. You, you hold in your hand the iPhone 5 more, compu- more computer power than empowered the entire space shuttle. Just think about that. That's not a hard time, but it feels hard. But there are so many cares of this life to distract us. And what he's saying here is that it seems this this seed and this ground finds good soil. The soil is good. It's not shallow. There's no rocks. It can find good room for its roots to put out. It It starts to grow up and it looks, it looks, this is the scary thing. It looks like the good seed on the good ground for a long time until the thorns and the thistles and the weeds that are around it grow up as well. And they grow faster and they grow more vigorously. And before long, before the seed that fell that in this ground can bear actual fruit, the thorns and the weeds around it grow up and they choke out the life out of this seed. That's the cares of the world. The riches and the pleasures of life and you never get fruit. 
As I think about this, I think about there's really two kinds of cares that most of us experience. There's the bad cares, or the most that, ones that most of us in here know would, you know, we know the Christian answer, right? Like, hey, those are things that we shouldn't be distracted by. Those are the cares of the world, the riches and pleasures of life that pull us away. But then there's also the good cares. We're going to run through a list of those and just see if we fall anywhere in here. The bad cares, by the way, are most of them are actually twisted good cares. They're things that God desires and appetites that God has truly given us that are naturally in themselves good, but we twist them to bad ends. One of the cares that come up, and here's the interesting thing as we go along in this list is, the cares that threaten to snuff out the seed, the good seed in your life, are not the ones that are obvious to you. They're the ones that are not obvious to you. They're the ones that seem so necessary, that seem so real, that seem so critical and so important that you can't even divorce them from the idea that they're actually, you can't even grasp the idea that they're the actual things that want to choke out the life of God in your soul. For many of us, it's entertainment. We as Americans are endlessly entertained. Endlessly entertained. I am endlessly entertained. I can watch just about any show or movie I want at any time in any place that I'm at. Whether I'm home or on the road, I know a friend who watches Netflix while he's driving his car late at night. Not be more than one of you guys. Doesn't sound super safe with me, but to me, but I know people who do that. I, people who, you can do it at work, at home, any place you go, and it's not just like Netflix and everything else. It's all kinds of entertainment. We have endless array of music and television and movies and uh, games that attract our attention like shiny baubles. Most of us don't know how to even last through a day or a moment without having some type of music or entertainment filling us. We are consumers by nature as as Americans. In fact, the American economy has shifted. It's what's called a consumer economy. It's based upon the fact that you and I are going to want to consume things and that's what's going to keep the economy going. We're not manufacturing things, we're consuming things, and that's why it keeps the whole thing rolling. It's like a giant uh, uh, pyramid scheme. We are constantly entertained, and it feels so innocuous. It's It's like how they describe the way that you die if you're, if you die from exposure. You're out in the snow, and you at first you're aware that you're super cold then over time you just get sleepy and you have a warm feeling that comes over you and then you go to sleep and you never wake up again that's what endless entertainment is for us it can be facebook or twitter it can be interesting articles that are intellectual in nature but it's still entertainment that distracts us as the cares of the world that distract us from what's most important. For some of us, it's social needs and wants. We're made to be social creatures. 
We're made to need each other and to have deep, meaningful relationships with each other. But some of us, we're so just surrounded by people or we can't stand to be alone that that, that itself that need, that overwhelming need and desire, whether it's in person or in social media, to see how many likes or hits you can get, their cares of the world. For some of us, it's games. For some of us, it's sports. For some of us, the need or the want for love. For some of us, it's relationships. We're always distracted by the cares of relationships. For some of us, it's sexual needs or wants. You know, this good, the good cares, the ones that seem so good and Christian and godly, that's the relationships we have with other people, that's the relationship we have with our spouse, relationship we have with our children, our career, business, I have to support my family, uh, even involvement in church. Cares of this world that keep us busy, that seem innocent. But behind the mask of innocence, It's the thorn and the thistle that would choke out the very life of God that is growing. Listen to this. The enemy of your soul has no care whether he steals the words from your soul through cares that are explicitly bad or ones that are seemingly good. He doesn't care how he does it. If he can distract you from, through Sex and lust, he will do that. If, if, if it's through an inordinate amount of attention and devotion to your children so that you place them at the center of your life rather than him or your spouse or anything else, he will do that. He will use everything that seems necessary and good, whatever it takes. That's the characteristics of true faith, of, of false faith. Let's look at the characteristics of true faith. Verse eight, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And look at his description in verse 15. As for that in the good soil, there are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We just talked about the characteristics of false faith. Let's look at the characteristics of true faith and judge for ourselves, where are we in this mix? He says, first of all, that the word is heard carefully. Not just the word is heard, but the word is heard carefully. It has to do with a heart posture of how you hear the word. Do you hear the word as this interesting idea or I'm gonna judge whether it's true or not? Because if you're, look, if you're judging, not my words, but God's word, not the things that I have to say that are my opinion, but the things that are written in the word of God, if you're judging, hey, whether that's true or not, you've placed yourself as the judge over God himself. There's a heart posture involved in saying, I'm coming to hear the word of God proclaimed. Or at some point, whenever you came into the room and you came in as a skeptic, but at some point in the proclamation of the word or your friend is going over the truth of the gospel sitting across from you at a table, your heart changes and you realize God is God and I'm not. And therefore, I need to hear the word of God humbly, carefully. I need to hear it as an important instruction to me. I don't like heights. So if you were to land me, I'm not a big skier because for multiple reasons, but it involves heights and going down sides of mountains very fast. On slip, like, why would you do that? I don't understand. But if you were to land me on the top of a mountain, not try skiing, it's just not my deal. If you, if you landed me on the top of a mountain 
like what is it, a four diamond, five diamond, black diamond? I don't even know what they are, but five, five black diamonds, if that's a thing. I'm making things up as I go along. If you land at the top of that mountain and say, hey, get down to the mountain, but here's the instructions that you need because we're about to leave you here. I would be very carefully listening to every instruction you have to say to me. Very carefully. Because my mind and my life depends on it. And at some point, if you're gonna be a Christian that is a believer and is a believer that lasts, you're gonna approach the word of God like it's instructions that your life depend upon it because it does. And you'll listen to hear what the instructor has to say to you and not your opinions about it yourself. We know that the word of God is heard carefully because he says it in verse 18, take care how you hear. The word of God is held fast. As for that in the good soul, those are those who hearing the word hold it fast. They hold it. They do not let it go. They're the people who say, I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize. I'm going to keep my eye on what's most important and not be distracted. And when you find yourself distracted, you get back on course. Those are the ones that last. Those are the ones that are in the good soil. It's held in an honest and a pure heart. So we're not coming to God saying, hey, I think I'm okay. And I just need you to help like uh, fill out the kind of empty spots, the blind spots I have in my life is the people who come and say, hey, God, you are God. I am not, I am sinful. I'm not gonna come pretending I'm something that I'm not. I'm gonna admit to you that I am faulty, I'm frail and I'm sinful and I'm coming to you in absolute need of your grace upon my life or I have no other hope. The characteristic of true faith is that it bears fruit. They're the ones that hold it in in an honest and good heart and they bear fruit with patience. If your life is not the kind of life that's bearing fruit for the gospel, not bearing fruit for the kingdom, if you're not living the kind of life that you're growing in grace, that you're growing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit as explained in Galatians 6, if you're not the kind of person who is interested in making disciples and devoted to the mission of God and you're not bearing fruit in that end, then it should cause you and me and us all to pause and wonder, maybe I'm not the kind of ground that I thought I was up until now. I just assumed I was the good ground, but nothing else is matching with that. And then we see that it happens steadily and surely. So it's not once you become a believer and you put faith in Christ, immediately all your problems are ended. You're not sinful anymore. You follow after God with a pure heart and you never deviate. You never, you never go to the side. But he says, it bears fruit with patience. The thing about bearing fruit, the thing about plants that grow and bear fruit is that it happens slowly over time. Weeds grow fast, mushrooms grow overnight, but fruit takes seasons to produce. You keep on steady, but eventually you're gonna bear fruit. Real quickly, what's the difference between them? If you notice, the sower is not named and he's the same farmer for all four types of ground. And the seed is the same. We know that it's good seed. So here's the difference between true faith and false faith. The, true, the difference between the first, type of, first three types of soil that proved to be false faith and the fourth type that proves to be true, the difference is the ground and the preparation of the ground. Not the seed, not the sower, but the ground and the preparation of the ground. 
And in this case, the ground is your heart and my heart. The ground and the preparation is your hearing and my hearing and how we hear. The difference is not the sower. These types of ground can't blame that the sower didn't sow it properly. It's not about if we had a better preacher or a better teacher or a better leader or a better church. The problem is not the seed. The seed is good seed. The gospel is the gospel. Whether it's proclaimed eloquently or it's proclaimed roughly, the gospel is the gospel and it is an effective seed. The problem is not the birds that come and steal it away. The problem is not the people that tramp it underneath their, their feet. The problem is not the rock underneath the ground. The problem is not the thorns, that, the thorns that grow up. The problem is the lack of preparation upon the soil of your heart that leaves your heart either hard, shallow, or in the midst of the competing cares of this world and the riches and pleasure of life. There's a difference in the hearing and that difference makes all the difference in the world. And that's because authentic hearing leads to authentic faith. Authentic or true hearing leads to authentic faith. Let me run through this and we're done. That's the difference between true faith and false faith very quickly. And lastly, what's the effect, the different effect of false faith and true faith? There are two different kinds of effects that are described in this section. One is encouraging and the other is sobering. Look down in verse 18. We didn't read this as part of our text. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. What he's saying is, if your heart, if my heart is hard or shallow soil or soil that is full of the cares, competing cares and pleasures of this world, that the more that you hear, but yet you don't hear, the greater the condemnation upon you. The greater the judgment, the harder your heart gets. You don't keep hearing the gospel and eventually it breaks up the soil and breaks through. You keep hearing the gospel and it has no effect and less effect and less effect. In fact, it can be the inoculation that Jonathan was talking about a couple weeks ago because you come to church or you listen to podcasts and you hear the word of God. You go away unchanged, but you think you're okay because you're participating in the game. When in fact, if you were not listening to podcasts and weren't coming to church, maybe God could use that to prick your conscience. But as is, your conscience stays airtight because you're playing the game. The more you hear but don't hear, the greater the condemnation is upon you the more judgment is being laid up against you. The stakes of hearing but not hearing are incalculably high. But then the good news, the good effect is that to those who have, 
more will be given. You will receive greater grace. If you come and you hear the word, not just on Sunday mornings, but in your own personal time, in podcasts, in community groups, and hanging out with each other, when you hear the word with an honest and a good heart, humbly, with patience, with endurance, when you hold it fast, more and more grace is given to you. And you will end up bearing much fruit. Which is the interesting part of the story, isn't it? The command isn't to cause life to be that you can't do that. That's hidden in the, the kernel of the, of the seed. Your command is not to make yourself bear fruit or to go out and do good things. That's the effect of true faith. Your job is to hear correctly, to hear humbly so that God would break up the soil in your heart and he's the one that causes fruit to bear in your life. So the question is today, where are you? Today, what type of soil are you? And I pray that we wouldn't look back on a past experience and think, hey, everything's okay. I experienced something one time. This is saying you can, you can spring up and experience great things, but yet down the road, prove that was not true faith. I pray we have people of true faith and have people who would pursue our life in such a way to reject the cares of this world and with dogged determination, determined to hear the word of God, to hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I pray we would take heed how we hear. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.